of the service. All right? Welcome with me, Bishop Gideon A. Thompson. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you that the entrance of your word gives light. We determine to walk in the light as you're in the light and have fellowship with one another. Knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, cleanses us from all sin. Thank you for living big in me today, speaking through these lips of clay, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and for anointing our ears to hear what your spirit is speaking unto the church and anointing our hearts to believe and receive this your engrafted word, which is able to save us and build us up and give us the inheritance that belongs to all who are sanctified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me just begin by saying... <clears throat> Um, I believe you are leaders. And if you don't believe that about yourself, start believing it now. Uh, you're here because you're a leader. You've gotten up early on Saturday and you pressed your way here uh, because you're a leader and you want to be effective. Uh, if you look at the bottom of your page, um, Stephen Covey was uh, uh, an educator and a, and a writer, and um, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People uh, is an excellent book. And uh, first things first, <laughs> principle-centered leadership is, both of these books are, are, are classic, uh, and uh, you'll be blessed if you get them and read them. Amen? Amen. All right. Does everyone have an outline? You don't. Forgive me for reading, and I'll, I'll, I'll do the reading part as quickly as possible. It'll take a little bit of time to get through the outline, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, with this that uh, you can read on your own. Uh, but uh, I begin with the testimony in the summer of 1972. My wife and I, with our two children, uh, moved from Evanston, Illinois, where I was a student at Garrett Theological Seminary at Northwestern University. And we moved to Boston to pastor a small church of 41 members. I say 41 because 41 was the number of folk that were in the business meeting that voted on me. I got 40, 40 votes and one nay vote. Um, and I was upset with that sister all while I pastored her. No. <laughs> but during the 10 years of my tenure as senior pastor, we saw that church grow from a small congregation of 41 people to a congregation of about 400. My understanding is that our growth was not accidental, but intentional. Uh, you need to understand that about yourself. Uh, there are some things that will happen happenstantially and accidentally, but really, uh, that's God adding to you. There, uh, You want to be intentional about doing the things that will strengthen you. Um, yeah. It followed some faith shifts uh, we applied in two areas, paradigm shift, if you've heard about that, and perception shift. Um, I'm not going to read all of this, and you I've given you scripture. If I take the time to read all of it, it'll take too long. But um, a paradigm 
is a way of viewing your world. Uh, your paradigm forces you to view your world from a certain perspective that is connected to what you believe. Amen? And um, so, you know, a lot of us don't believe the same stuff. And uh, so you can, you can change the way you see your world, change the way you, what you believe. Or what you, you, you may believe the same things, but, but organizing it differently can make a difference. Uh, prioritize your time. I believed in prayer, but uh, I needed to prioritize prayer in my daily schedule. Um, look at the A. Um, I, I had an experience where I was uh, making a confession of faith. I had learned about a confession of faith watching the television preacher, Frederick K.C. Price. And, uh, and so I started in prayer to, to make a confession. I started my confession as a part of my prayer time, um, a confession of faith. And Hebrews 10, 23 says uh, that hold fast the, the profession of your hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. So wh what is, what do you hope for? Faith is the substance of the things that you hope for and the evidence of things not seen. So it's important for you to make a confession that is positive. And so I started confessing. Uh, I pastored a, a congregation of mm, less than 100 people, and I started to confess. I began that in 1978. I started, and I'd been pastoring from 72 to 78. So for the first six years, we saw some growth, but it then it leveled out. Um, and in 1978, I started to confess I had a thousand people. <laughs> Amen. And uh, at that time, I was reading through the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament, through, through the entire Bible. I started with Genesis, and I was going to go all the way through uh, to the book of Revelation, and did. But when I got into 2 Kings, I read the story of Elisha. <clears throat> And it's in chapter four, and it's there in your text. I gave you the reference. And uh, where a widow woman with two sons uh, went to the prophet because her, her sons were about to be sold into slavery. Her, her husband uh, had not financially managed his life in such a way so that after he died, uh, his, his family was in debt, and his children were about to be sold into slavery. So she went to Elisha, and Elisha asked her the question, what do you have? And she said, all I have is a, a little oil in a bottle. He then prophesied to her, go borrow pots from your neighbors, not a few. Well, you know the story. She poured, miraculously poured the oil from that small bottle into the containers that she borrowed. And when she, when she borrowed the pots, it says that Elisha told her, borrow pots from your neighbors, not a few. So if she'd only borrowed two pots, she would have only filled two, two pots. She would have had two pot faith. <laughs> Uh, 
See, the young people are laughing. You old folk are wondering, what is that? And Tupac was a rapper, you know. So, so, so uh, he said, borrow pots from your neighbors, not a few. Uh, the words not a few became like bold letters on the text. They, they, they leapt out of the text. And I thought, not a few, not a few. Now I was confessing, Lord, I've got a thousand people in me. And you know, the word says, don't cast your pearls before swine. So if you've got a confession of faith, you want to speak that confession of faith to someone who has faith. And so I talked with my wife. I said, I said, baby, I got a thousand. I'm pregnant with a thousand people. And whenever I'd confess that to her, she said, you go man of God. Now, when I read that passage, not a few, the Lord spoke to me and he said these exact words. He said, my son, it doesn't do you a bit of good in the world to have faith for a thousand people and only room for a hundred. See, a lot of our faith is misplaced. Uh, if you really see faith without corresponding actions, James said that in, in James 2.17, that faith without corresponding action is dead. How, how can you have faith for a thousand people? Where would, you, where would you put them? You only have room for a hundred. So I saw that if I really was confessing in faith, I've got a thousand people in me. And I needed to find space for all of them. Amen. All right. Then number two is perception. The way others perceive or judge the kind of person you are. And there are influences that all of us have or that we should have. Education, our reading, wisdom literature, poetry, um, the way you dress, the kind of words you use, uh, hopefully uh, that are absent, profane words, um, the friends you hang with. Um, there's an old expression that um, I, I put here, perception is nine-tenths. And that sounds like what we used to say, we used to say as children on the playground, that possession is nine tenths. You know, if you're gonna play basketball, and I got my, I brought my ball. And they say, well, who's gonna be the captain? Uh, who's gonna choose the persons to pick from that'll be on your team? And we would say, well, possession is nine tenths. I got the ball. I'll get a chance to pick the tall guy that can play. Amen. So, so perception is nine tenths. Uh, people will perceive of you, how smart you are, how gifted you are, uh, what kind of vision you have, a lot of times by the way you look and some other things. Uh, next paragraph, I mentioned these two because though both are your paradigm and your perception are firmly fixed, both can change. And you're the only one who can really change them. And I'm going, that's just a kind of introduction. Turn the page. Uh, let's get past this because I only have an hour and a half. Um, look at the second paragraph. And I, and I trust that you will. Well, look at the last sentence, the last sentence of paragraph one on page two. Uh, faithfully 
applying these principles can change what you believe and cause your paradigm to shift. Uh, when it comes to perception, look, changing your perception, the first, first sentence in paragraph two, changing your perception will necessitate you changing what you will or will not do. Uh, it may include changing the way you dress, the places you go, the things you do, the kind or order of the service you have, uh, the name you carry and the faces you wear. Changes like these will influence the perception people have of you and even the relationship they will seek to develop with you. Um, I was having lunch with uh, one of the pastors uh, in uh, my city. His name is Dr. Ray Hammond. He graduated from Harvard. He was a, um, a doctor, medical doctor and surgeon. Um, but he stepped away from that to be a pastor full-time, pastors um, the largest AME church in the city. And they came into the restaurant a brother that I know. Um, he's now pastoring. He, whenever I would come through the airport and I'd see him, he was the guy that was shining shoes. And um, so that was, that was his job. And um, good brother, Christian. And uh, so he walked over to me and shook my hand and we embraced and talked for a little bit. And then he said, well, I'm, I'm here. I'm meeting, meeting with someone that's we're considering ordaining in my church. And I didn't know he was pastoring. He gave me his card and all that. And all those niceties we went through. And the person that he met with was a female in a restaurant. And next time I talk with him, I'm going to say to him, listen, do yourself a favor. Don't meet in a public place with a woman that's not your wife. People look through the window, see you guys sitting and laughing and whatever you're doing, and they'll get the wrong impression. They're not asking you, why are you there? They will form their own opinion. There are things that we do. I mean, I used to do dumb stuff like that. And I don't do it anymore because I want the perception of me being a godly man to be what people get from what they see, from what they hear, from what they imagine. Does that make sense? Amen. You can craft the way you're viewed. There are some things that you may do, some expressions that you may use, some way you may dress. You know, I got, <laughs> I know some pastors got earrings in the ear. I'm sorry, you wear an earring, bless your heart. But <laughs> I'm 72 years old. I am putting no earring in my ear. I got a cousin. That's older than me. He's the oldest cousin I have. He got an earring in both ears. I said, well, you trying to be young? You are old. <laughs> I 
I mean, it's just, it's just, there are things that we do for, I don't, I don't even want to guess the reason. Amen. When I walk, I walk like a man. I don't want, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking tiny steps. I still got, and, and if I'm, I remember I, well, my, wife, my wife and I vacationed uh, in um, Las Vegas. We went to Las Vegas. I tried to get my brother and his wife to go with us. We were going to, they were, all they'd have to do is just get there. They would stay with us in our resort, which had a room for them too. And, uh, and so when I talked with her uh, on the phone, my brother wasn't there. And I said, well, I want you in, to talk to Doug about uh, coming uh, we, Yvonne and I are going on vacation. She said, where are you going? I said, we're going to go to Las Vegas. She said, oh, no. Mm -mm. I said, well, I know there's gambling and all kinds of things that go on in Las Vegas, but that's not why I'm going. There are things that I want to see. I mean, it's, 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 you know, there are places I want to go. There are things I want to see. And I'm not going to be afraid because it's a worldly city. She didn't, she didn't go. That's her heart. Um, but, but, you know, you, you, you want to be someone that when people see you, they don't know who you are. They ought to get an impression about you. So when we were looking to do different things, there were shows that we could see, and there was a show that I wanted to go see, and she wanted to see it. And so um, we were talking with one of those guides that help you get the tickets to this, that, or the other. And he said he took a map out of Las Vegas, and he put a line. He said, now, if you go across this line, you're entering into a part of the city where there are a lot of pickpockets and people kind of get, you know, taken advantage of, mugged or whatever. He says, I'm just warning you, you know, and I'm listening. And uh, so we got, got some tickets somewhere else to something we wanted to sit in on. And I remember the name of the street. I don't remember. I can't recall it now, but I remember the name of the street. He said, when you cross that street, just realize that, you know, be aware of yourself. And we crossed the street, and Yvonne said to me, honey, that's the name of the street. The guy told us that this, you know, we're going into a, a difficult area. And we had been walking because we were late trying to get there. So I'm rushing. Come on, man. And when we crossed that street, I'm, let's just make the aisle of the street. When we crossed that street, she said, that's, that's the street. And I'm rushing, and I said, oh, come on, man. <laughs> I changed my walk. <laughs> See, you want you want the impression that people get about you to be something that they don't have to talk to you about. You can get it. That's just a a true example of right? perception. What is the perception that you get? Huh? 
Are you clean shaven? Are you, do you have a beard? Is it trimmed? What, what is the perception? Do you, do you use deodorant? Mm -hmm. Are you close enough to somebody to say, does my breath smell? It ought to be that when you're talking with someone that their eyes should not water. Come on, you represent the king of kings. It ought to be that their perception is a positive one. Now, of course, some people have racist intentions and racist ideas about everybody that's a certain color or, or a certain sex or whatever. You know, they, they, there are people that are, well, that, that are racist or misogynists and hey, there's not a whole lot you can do to change that. But as best you can, dress for success. Last paragraph, one, two, three, four, the fourth paragraph. Uh, in the fall of 1982, I chose to change and apply the principles I will share with you in this summary outline. My wife and I resigned our pastorate and went to a downtown hotel and rented a room. We had less than 100 adults in our first Sunday service. Today, that church meets in two multi million dollar facilities in five Sunday services averaging between four to 5,000 persons being ministered to every weekend, weekly tithes averaging, tithes and offerings averaging over $100,000. Amen. What I will say to you works and I, I mention this because you want to take swimming lessons from people who can swim. I use the illustration, <clears throat> and I was a swimmer in high school. It was one of the three um, athletic ac activities in high school that I functioned in. I, I ran track, I ran cross country, and I was on the swim team. And if I walked into the pool, there were times that at the YMCA I'd, be, YMCA, I'd be the only one there swimming. But most of the times I was with another teammate and we would do our laps and sprints and whatnot in the pool. And uh, we worked out together. I even have a gymnasium where we could work out. If I walked into a pool, let's say at a YMCA, and, and when I walked to where the water was, I saw a guy in the deep end struggling, struggling to get to the edge. And, and he's on me and he's, help me, help me, help me, help me. And you know, well, I'm a lifeguard actually. You don't jump into the water, he, he can climb on you and drown you. Um, that's something to get him, reach out to him. And grab the pole and I, I hand the pole out to him, and he grabs onto it, I pull him to the side. And he says, he's in the water now. He says, oh, man, thank you. Oh, I don't know if I was going to make it, man. 
so glad you came in. I was the only one here. <sighs> and then when he climbed out of the pool, I saw that he had a shirt that said, Life Guard. <laughs> then he climbed up into the seat, sat down and said to me, you can go on in now. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't feel comfortable. <laughs> One of my friends made an expression. I don't know if the, the expression originated with him, but his expression was, I don't take swimming lessons from drowning. You want to learn how to do something, get with somebody that's doing it. So I remember Dr. Granham teaching, um, oh, this is years ago, that uh, he was pastoring in Philadelphia and took time to go see some people that were successful in his city because he wanted to see how they operate in their spheres of influence. Yes. Yes. So he actually jumped on a plane to go somewhere because he knew that there are some things that you need to learn from others that are successful. It, it's, it's Kobe's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so open wide your heart to those people that are around you. Find out what they do. What is their day like? What are their principles that they follow? Amen. All right. All right, uh, this is this is yours. Um, you know, I I recognize that if I am to hold your attention, I need to give you something that will make you listen to me because I'm going to say something that you'll have to write down. But the problem with that, of course, is that everyone's not going to write down what they need to write down. And if this outline is to be effective, you need to see exactly what I'm saying. So I am taking for granted that you are here intentionally to learn. Amen. And how many are here that are pastors? Oh, good, good. Uh, I, I, I got saved in the church of God. I'm, uh, my grandfather was a church of God pastor. Uh, the Church of God is a Wesleyan uh, movement. Uh, they're so strict, they don't call themselves a denomination. <laughs> we're, a, we're a movement. Um, I don't mind that, you know. You ought to be in something that's moving, at least. Um, and uh, it's a holiness denomination. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, independently run, meaning that each local congregation is independent. They're connected to the, the major body of the church voluntarily. 
Um, and I, I went to Boston to pastor the only Church of God congregation in the city. There were only 11 Church of God congregations in all of New England. Uh, that's six states uh, in the north, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. And in the south, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. New York was not a part of our conference. So the city of New York in the southern part of New York State was with another conference. But there was a church that was in upstate New York that connected with New England. So with all of those states, there were only 11 congregations. And I went to Boston in the largest city to pastor the largest Church of God congregation in New England. And 41 people voted on my pastorate. <laughs> And, and, you know, uh, they, they said they had 60 members. So if they had 60 members, come on. You're voting on leadership. They, they knew they were going to have a business meeting where they're going to vote on who the next leader's going to be. Only 41 folks showed up. Throughout New England, the smallest congregation was in a, a small town, Warwick, Rhode Island. It had four members. And one of those members was in the nursing home. And he was the pastor. And when he, when he died, the church disbanded. They sold the property and gave the money to the area and designated that that money would be used to plant new churches. Amen. So I, I'm in an area, a part of the country where the church doesn't grow. I mean, you, you had a church of 100 people. You, you name yourself a bishop. You had a couple hundred people. You call yourself a doctor. You, know, you can buy a doctorate online. You can buy a doctorate. <clears throat> Couple of brothers, you know, a number of brothers were at a conference, uh, and uh, you know, our brothers get together and see one another. And you know, if you're around pastors, uh, you know, they call one another, "Hey, Doc," and, you know, <laughs> got a high school education. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Doc. Uh, so this brother had purchased. He's pastor in the church in another city, and uh, and he. He had purchased his doctorate, and his friends did not know that he was, he was no longer just Pastor Green. He was Dr. Green. So they're at a hotel, because that's where the meeting was being held. And, um, and so he, he had himself paged. <laughs> and the page 
walked into the restaurant, paging, these brothers are sitting around the table, paging Dr. Green, Dr. Green, paging, paging Dr. Green, Dr. Samuel Green, paging Dr. Samuel Green. And the brothers looked there and said, Doc, is that you? He didn't, you know, he stuck up his finger. The brother walked over and said, are you Dr. Green, Dr. Samuel Green? He cleared his throat. <clears throat> yes, I is. All right, look, that doesn't have anything to do with the outline. I just thought I'd throw it in. No. Roman number one, the principle of submission to authority. A under that is submission to God's authority. If you're going to do something for God, you're going to have to connect up with him. And it needs to be something that you determine to do. Uh, the call to prayer. Jesus calls us to prioritize prayer by precept and example. Uh, early morning prayer. Uh, Jesus got up early. In Mark 135, it says, early in the morning, while it was yet dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went out into a solitary place where he prayed. Amen. Uh, one of my mentors said to me in Chicago, he said, Brother Thompson, you're going to Boston. You're leaving Chicago. You're going to Boston. He said, whatever else you do, don't forget to pray. And so I went with a mandate from a man old enough to be my dad who pastored in the north side, on the north side of Chicago, small church. He said, whatever else you do, don't forget to pray. If he bought a, a book, especially a reference book, <laughs> E.G. Billingsley would buy two. He'd buy one for him and one for me. And he's, he's a dear, dear brother. I commissioned myself to pray, but I wasn't that successful at it. Because Ministry has a way of crowding out your schedule so the most important things don't get done. You may be surprised how many pastors are up late Saturday night getting their message for Sunday morning. He said, whatever you do, don't forget to pray. And so, you know, Jesus prayed all night. You see that in Luke 6 and 12. Uh, and he asked the question to his disciples there in Matthew 26, could you not wait with me, watch with me for one hour? Prioritize prayer. What happened with me is that I was running a revival. Uh, this is how I started early morning prayer. Uh, I was running a revival in Gary, Indiana, and I was getting up. I was all day in my hotel room and I got up uh, to pray, to read my Bible and to prepare, you know, uh, spiritually for ministering uh, every night. And uh, while I was praying on one occasion, I was confessing my failure 
to be someone who prayed consistently. And I was, I was sorrowful that I was not as successful in being someone who really prayed. And the Lord spoke to me and said, let me, let me think now, what did he exactly say? He said these exact words, set a time. See, I always planned to pray, but I never set a time. And then he reminded me, you don't just show up at the dentist, you have an appointment. You don't just go to the airport, you're there because you know you have an appointment with an airlines. You don't just go any airlines, I'm here to catch a plane in Los Angeles. <laughs> We're not flying to Los Angeles. What, what airline, what, what carrier? I mean, you got to know where to go. You got to know what time it leaves. Come on now. Uh, there are things that we schedule in our lives, whether it's a doctor's appointment, whether you got to go to court, whatever it is. Make an appointment. Schedule it. And so I scheduled prayer based upon Mark 135. Early in the morning while it was yet dark. Song poet said, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. See, that's before the sun comes up. Because when the sun comes up, it burns the dew off the roses. Prioritize prayer in your life. And when I started prioritizing prayer in my life, things started to happen that did not happen before then because I had a partner. The necessity and urgency of prayer, the battle in the heavenly realms. Um, you know, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to take your stand against the wiles of the devil. For our fight is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may take your stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Now, now my fight is not against my deacon board. It's not against my trustee board. It's not, it's not against a person, flesh and blood, but they're demonic, opponents that determine to withstand your progress. And Paul said, if you're going to fight them, you need to put, a, put the armor of God on. You need to get your loins girt about with truth. And, and the, the, the picture is of someone with a skirt Okay, you know, pants is a new development, but everybody, I mean, you had a robe, it was hung down. If they were going to do some work, they would remove the sash and tuck it in between their legs and around to pull up all of those hanging garments so that 
their legs could move, loins girt about with truth. So we're going to gird up the loins of your body. Amen. Gird up the loins of your mind. Loins girt about with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Feet shot first, number two. Feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of feet. You need about gospel of peace. You need, you need, you need to be walking, standing in a peace that passes all understanding. You need to have the breastplate of righteousness on. You know, Amos 5, 24 says that justice rolled down like waters and righteousness like a never ending stream. I'm right with God. And I need to be right with my brother and my sister. Yeah. You know, John said, you can't love God who you don't see if you don't love your brother who you do see. So putting on the armor of God to protect yourself. I was in a conference. You know, I can't not tell stories. I was in a conference. I was called as a leader in New England to a conference where we were going to talk about the seven mountains. And uh, the conference was in Rhode Island. No, no, it was in New Hampshire. And the person who had organized the conference was had sent sent in a resource person. I won't name him because I got something to say against him. He was there as a resource person. And warriors, prayer warriors, strong leaders throughout New England were invited to this conference. And I was one of the ones that was there. And the person who was leading us, the resource person said, let's, let's, have, a word. let's, let's have a season of prayer, just as many as feel led. Uh, lead us out in prayer. We sat in a large circle. Uh, the circle was was as large as this room as we sat and could look and see everybody's face as they sat in a chair in this large circle. And the resource person happened to be right across from me. And so different ones let out in prayer. And uh, I was one of the ones that let out in prayer. And uh, after we prayed for about uh, 20 minutes or so, as if one sprayed, and we all agreed with the one that was praying. The resource person took it upon himself to instruct us, school us, chasten us into our, in the area of how we prayed. His words were basically, you need to be careful because I hear some of you praying and rebuking the devil, especially principalities that are above us. I'm sitting in the corner. I said, Lord, the devil is a liar. <laughs> Because he was directing his critique at me. So I looked at him. You know, I was taught that you, you correct a thing as far as it's known. If he had said to me, had taken me off to the side and said, brother, I don't know you, but I recognize that when you were praying, you were binding principalities and powers and all that. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, you need to be careful. 
because they can attack you. And I know a number of people that have actually experienced a terminal illness and have died because they prayed those kinds of prayers. But he didn't say it to me. He said it to all of us. <laughs> Though he was sitting right across from me, I took it personally. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Lord, I'm coming to this meeting. I just want to be a part of the meeting. This is not what this meeting is to be about. So, well, since he said it openly, I got to correct him openly. So I said, well, what, what do you do with Ephesians chapter 6? He said, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. And we entered into a debate back and forth about demonic authorities. And it ended with him saying to me, well, I'm just warning you. I know some people that have actually died and you need to be careful because those principalities are above us. And I said to him, and I haven't shared with you all of what I said to him, but I said to him, I said, my brother, I mean no disrespect to you. They may be above you, but they're not above me. Now, this happens later on in the outline, but since I gave you that illustration, um, if you have a Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's a familiar passage of scripture uh, where the Apostle Paul says uh, that, um, that uh, let's see, how does it begin? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, that even though we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. That word quickened means that we were made alive. There are three verbs that are in the aorist tense. Aorist tense is the past tense in the Greek. It not only means that something took place in the past, but it is resident, effective in the present. Okay? So he quickened us together with Christ. Then he says, by grace you're saved. And then it says, he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say that in the ages to come, he showed the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace he is saved through faith and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, all right. So those three birds, we are made alive, we are raised up, we are seated. The word for seated is the Greek word kathizo doesn't mean to sit on a seat or even on a pew. It means to sit on a throne. Sit on a throne where you exercise rule and authority. It's the word that's used for Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. 
Then in chapter 1, chapter 1, so all right, we're, we're, let, me, let me repeat it so that you'll remember. We are made alive, raised up, seated, where? In the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Then, then chapter, chapter 1, um, where Paul, Paul says, um, for this reason, ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, make a mention of you of our prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge in the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you'll know the hope to which you've been called. All right, here it is. The hope to which you've been called, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power that is in us who believe. And then he says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realm. All right, look at me, look at me. That's where Jesus is seated. He's seated at the Father's right hand. Same phrase. We're in Christ in the heavenly realms. All right, I've been raised up, seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. See, you need to recognize your spiritual position. Your spiritual position is in Christ. I know your body's in the earth, but spiritually, in terms of your authority, you are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. Amen. So you're seated at the Father's right hand. <laughs> Did you know that? So, so that, see, the Father is right-handed. I, I know, it's an anthropomorphic illustration. You know, most most people are, are right-handed. There are a few of us that are mixed up and you're left-handed. But the Father is right-handed. Okay, so the the if 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 I'm the Father, Jesus is seated right here. He's at my right hand, and when I want something done, if the Father wants something done, He just says, "All right, it's time for you to go and die for the sin of the world." And it's time for the people that are in you to do. Because that's where I am. That's where you are. You are in Christ, seated at the Father's right hand. Now, where is that? Where is that? Well, the next verse says, it's far above all principalities, powers, might, and dominion. And in case I missed anything, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the one that is to come. He's put all things under his feet. If, his, if I'm in Christ and everything is under his feet, then everything is under my feet. I'm not afraid somebody's going to put a terminal illness on me. Amen? Amen? See, when you put on the armor of God, your loins are girt about with truth. You've got the 
feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, you put on the helmet of salvation. You're not going to get knocked unconscious because you know what you have been saved from and saved to do. You're taking the shield of faith. You quench all of the flaming arrows of the wicked one. Oh, he's going to throw arrows. He's going to throw darts. He's going to do his best to unsettle you, to unsettle your faith. But my faith is anchored in the word of the living God. You need to get the word of God in you. Amen. You know, um, those priests that uh, studied under Gamaliel, you know, uh, the apostle Paul, studied under Gamaliel. They had to memorize the Pentateuch. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Ooh. I said, Jesus? Mm, mm, mm. What's your problem with memory? Because if you're going to take your stand against the, the wiles of the devil, all of those garments that I've listed, loins girt about with truth, breastplate of righteousness, uh, feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, helmet of salvation, shield of faith, the only offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit. And it's not in your hand. It's in your mouth. Because he names it, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you need to be able to say, no, sir, because the word says, command these stones to be made bread. No, because it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He didn't have a Bible there with him. He couldn't turn. <laughs> you need to know what the word says. If you're going to fight the good fight of faith, if you're going to lay hold on to eternal life, as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and 12. Amen. All right, look back at the outline. I've taken up enough of your time. Uh, I see faith in specific. All right, look at number three. The pattern of prayer, uh, the pattern I use is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you write in here, there are three parts to the Lord's Prayer. The first part is worship. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And there are nine compound covenant names for God. Is this being taped? Okay. All right. So you don't have to write it down. You can just get the tape. Uh, but he's Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord, our provider. He's Jehovah Sidkenu. He's the Lord, our righteousness. He is Jehovah Mgadeshem, our sanctifier. He's Jehovah um, Shalom, our peace. He's Jehovah Nisi, our banner. Jehovah 
Shama, the God who is ever present. Amen. He's Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, and Jehovah Sabaoth, our captain. Now, if you go through all of them, what does it mean for him to be a captain in your life? What does it mean for him to be a provider in your life? What does it mean for him to be your righteousness? And so you enter his gates with thanksgiving. You come into his courts with praise. You're thankful unto him. You bless his name. Notice thanksgiving is given twice because it's faith. You enter his gates. What's that? Psalm 1. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Then he says, be thankful unto him and bless his name. Yeah. So that... Yeah, that's, that's the beginning. That's where I want to be. I want to get where God is. So I come with praise. I come with thanksgiving. That's faith. My mother would, would reach out something if she had prepared a bowl of ice cream or a piece of cake or whatever, and she was handing it to one of her children. She would say, what do you say? Yeah, you didn't get that dessert. If you didn't say thank you. <laughs> so we enter his gates with thanksgiving. The position of prayer. See it there, number four? Those are the scriptures that I just shared with you. Your position is in Christ. Turn to page, page three. Okay, the principle, Roman number one says the principle of submission to authority. A was submission to God's authority, and that's prayer. Then B is submission to the authority of the word. Joshua 1 and 8 says, do not let this book of the law depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all the things that are written in it, but then you'll make your way to prosper. Then you will be successful. I don't know about you, but I want my way to prosper. And I want to be successful. And it comes from walking in obedience to the word. Most, most of us miss um, the, the truth of the sermon, the, the illustration that Jesus gives at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. And, uh, and you know it, you know, two men build a house. Well, uh, that each, each one builds a different house. One builds his house on a rock, the other one builds his house on the sand. You know the parable. Um, then we're told that the rain falls, the wind blows, and the flood rises and beat against both houses. The one built on the rock, still standing. The one built on the sand collapses with a great crash. Now, the thing that distinguishes the two of them 
is obedience. Both heard. Jesus said, the wise man, he hears what I say and puts it into practice. The foolish man hears what I say, but he doesn't put it into practice. So one person hears and obeys. He makes an adjustment in his behavior. The other one, the foolish, my mother called him a nincompoop. That's actually an English word. I looked it up. <laughs> that the foolish man, he's in church. He may even say amen, but he's not going to do anything differently. Foolish. And for the sake of my illustration, I'm using something that's in the scripture, for the sake of my illustration, let's say they're both in the church, both of them say baptized in water, members, all of that. One of them tithes, the other one doesn't tithe. Mm-hmm. One of them is fellowshipping with believers in the church, the other one's still hanging out with his old crazy friends. See, they're hearing the same thing, but one is walking in obedience to it. The other one is not. So that when the storms of life take place in your life, that's what the house is. It's your life. When the storms of life come against, you know, let me stand my, stand my there. I, I rebuke the devil. devil ain't doing everything. Come on. Global warming. We have a president that doesn't believe in it. Well, though there are floods everywhere, and though there are rivers that are drying up, he doesn't believe in it. See, some of it, some of it is our own stupidity. I'm sorry if you voted for him. I didn't. I pray for him, though, because the Bible tells me to. Praying that he'll wake up. But, but do you see? Do you see? There, don't, don't, there was an, a cartoon I saw. I wish I had kept it and had, had a picture of it. It was a picture of Lucifer sitting on a curb in the city, crying his eyes out. And you didn't see the Lord, but you saw the Lord spoke out of heaven and said, Oh, Lucifer, why are you crying? And Lucifer, you know, the, the little bubble that came from his mouth, he said, These Christian people, they blame me for everything. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole lot that the devil is responsible for, but he's not responsible for all of the catastrophes that take place in your life. Some of that's your own stupidity. If we would do differently, we would see differently. You know, some of us, for example, one of the mistakes a lot of us make is that we eat anything and everything. Even at times, just exquisite moi. We eat anything and everything. 
Amen. And we eat late at night. Should have stopped you eating about six o'clock so when you go to bed, your stomach is free for you to go to sleep. You burping in the bed? Sometimes if you lay down and you burp it, some of it will come up in your mouth. Has it ever happened to you? Amen. We don't eat live food. Last time you had a salad. Not just lettuce and a couple of, some slices of tomatoes. Grate up a carrot. Grate up some cabbage. Some fibrous food that you have to stand there and chew. You're not going to no, you're going <laughs> to. Actually, if you're not used to chewing a lot, you may even get a pain in the joint. But don't stop. Just rest a minute. Go on back to chewing. You are what you eat. And if the only food you eat is cooked, a lot of the nutrients are done. They may be in the water that, <laughs> that that vegetable is in. But we throw that water down the drain. What you ought to do is to pour that water into a container, and it was called, what's it called? Pot liquor. <laughs> you won't get high. But you leave up out of there saying, ha, feel like I can run. <laughs> let, me, let me recommend a book. The author is Paul Bragg. Bragg with two Gs. The title of the book is The Miracle of Fasting. Probably have to go online to get it. That book changed my life. I read it in 1974. Amen? You want to put yourself under the authority of the word of God. Walking in obedience to it. Notice that there are five numbers. One, two, three, four, five. Under B. Um, because there are five different ways that the Word of God impacts us. We hear it, number one. We read it, number two. You study it, number three, which is, is another way of saying you need, to, you need to have an exhaustive concordance. The best one that I know of is Strong's Concordance. They said if you want to be strong, get a Strong's Concordance. You need to study it. You need to buy reference books that will help you understand what the word is saying. Number four, you need to take some time and memorize the word. I recommend navigators. Write this down, navigators. T as in Tom, M as in Mary, S as in Sam. TMS. The TMS stands for Topical Memory 
system. I went through Navigators TMS in 1965. And Navigators is a discipleship organization that is still in operation today. There's Navigators hand illustration where the, the Bible is being held and on each finger, those five words are listed. How shall a young man cleanse his way? That's the question that's asked in Psalm 119, verse 9. How shall a young man, how shall a young woman, a young person cleanse their way, their walk, their act, their react? And then he answers his own question. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's King James Version. In other words, by obeying the scriptures. Then verse 11 says, thy word have I memorized. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I've been memorizing scripture since 1965. Amen. And, uh, and folk know I memorize scripture. I mean, most of the stuff that I, I mean, I'm, I don't have to turn my Bible. I got it up here just in case. Sometimes, you know, I can have a senior moment. I have to think about how it begins. But they, the church knows that I'm someone who memorizes scripture. And one one of the leaders at West Middlesex, while we were having communion service, went over to me and tapped me and said, while they're serving communion, you know, that takes a while, you know, passing, you know. It, so he said, hmm, were you there? Yeah, yeah. And he said, why don't you just, while they're passing out to communion, um, recite scripture well, I thought well I forget what the theme was but it was tied into the history who we are so I got up and started to say Acts chapter 7 the the defense of Stephen men brethren and fathers hearken the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said unto him, get out of thy country and leave your father's house and come into a land that I will show you. Then came he out of the land of Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land where he now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot upon, but he promised to give it to him for possession and to his seed after him. But as yet, he had no child. Uh, hey, it's the history of who we are. We're not Jews, but Christianity started out of Judaism. Eh? 
I took the time to memorize it. It's over 60 passages, 60 verses of scripture. I took the time to memorize it because I want to know our history. You want to be in a place where you know what the word says. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come down the street, first time they came down my street and knocked on my door, I invited them in. We talked about the word. Said, so why now you guys are concerned about the kingdom? Who's the king? He said, Jehovah. Well, actually, King of kings and Lord of lords is the Lord Jesus. Oh, yeah, 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 I just say that. I said, you know, he's God. No, he's not. He's an angel. I said, where's that found? There's no Bible calling Jesus an angel. I said, Isaiah, Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. <laughs> yeah, different ones say, one brother said to me uh, in a conversation, he said, he's mighty, but he's not almighty. I said, well, well, you know, I wanted to say, well, what do you do with the fact he's called the Everlasting Father? Duh. <laughs> You need to know your Bible. And I talked with one of them when I said, I just, he took me to a scripture and says, well, there are God's many and Lord's many. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's only one true God. All the other ones, the many ones, they're false. You're not saying that Jesus is false. He's called the mighty God. He's not false. They worship him. Can I show you where they worshiped him? You go to the book of Revelation, when, when John worshipped an angel, he said, whoa, what are you trying to do, man? You trying to get me kicked out of heaven? Don't worship me. Jesus didn't stop them from worshipping him. Well, he's mighty, but he's not almighty. I said, okay. If I show you where he's called almighty, would that be enough for you? And he said to me, you're going to show me in the Bible where Jesus is called the Almighty? Yes. So I took him over to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and those that pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And I stopped, and I said, Who's the one that's pierced? He said, that's Jesus. I said, we're clear now. We're clear that this is Jesus. He's the one coming with clouds. Acts chapter 1. There are two angels standing off to the sides of the side there after Jesus ascended before their very eyes. And they said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus is going to come again in like manner. I just seen him go up. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And, of course, you got 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Come on, come on now. This is Jesus. He's the pierced one. Ah, I got it. I got it. Yeah, he's okay. It's Jesus. He's coming with clouds. And then it says, I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord God, who was, who is, and who is to come. I said, read the next phrase, my brother. What's it say? <laughs> the Almighty. <laughs> Brother did one of these numbers. And, and in my Bible, it's in red letters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the Bible. I knew I couldn't get through this outline. Let me see. All right. All right. Submission to the will of God. Yeah. Many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Romans 8, 14. Um, and and he, he goes on, you know, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry of our father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and the heirs of God join heirs with Christ. Important for you to know you're submitted to the will of God. You're submitted to the will. That's what, who you're supposed to be. You don't get a chance to make your own decisions. Oh, yeah, you're going to make a lot of decisions on your own. But the major ones, you need to pray. Because God knows you better than you know you. Roman number two, the principle of unity. Uh, let me get to the best thing here. The importance of vision and agreement. Jesus said unity is essential to his mission being accomplished in the earth. You know, this passage there, and this is the prayer that Jesus prayed, the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. I pray not only, he said, for these that believe on me, but for those who will believe on me through their message, that they may be one as you, Father, in me, and I'm in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may know that you have sent me. We are so factioned off. Amen. Amen. We need to see ourselves as one. Agreement begins. I'm in the second sentence there in, in the paragraph under Roman number two. Agreement begins with vision. Habakkuk chapter two. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the ramparts. This is one of the most powerful passages about vision. Amen. I will stand up my watch, station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. Now, you know, the ramparts is the top of a tower. So he climbed the stairs of the tower. He's standing at the roof of the tower and the towers are on the walls, but the walls are not as high as the tower is. You can look beyond the walls in every direction. You can look into the city. You can look down each wall, you can look out to see an army approaching from afar. So he's seeking God. 
huh, if you look at Habakkuk chapter one, he's complaining about what he sees happening. And he's saying, Lord, I need to talk to you. He climbs the steps of the, of the tower. He stands on the roof called the ramparts. He says, I will look to see what you will say to me. That's the best definition of vision. I want to look to see what you're saying to me. What answer I am to give to this complaint. And when the Lord spoke to me, he said, write the revelation down, write the vision down. Make it plain upon tablets so that he that reads can run. For the revelation is for an appointed time that speaks of the end and will not prove uh, false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will surely come to pass and will not delay. I have to apologize. I've taken so much time. I didn't finish the outline. But there are no empty spaces. You are leaders. You can read it. Look up the scriptures and see that there are principles that God has put in place for you to follow. And if you follow them, you'll be successful. You may not be a pastor of thousands. That's dependent upon the gifts that are in. There are captains of tens, captains of hundreds, captains, yeah, right? Captains of, th of thousands. I wanted to be a captain of thousands. I believe that I had that gift. Amen. So you walk in line with the principles and see the ministry that God has given you grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Let me close with an illustration. Uh, there was a pastor who pastored the church that had a fire. And in the fire, part of not the church building, but part of the fellowship hall was destroyed. And the pastor then went to a realtor brought the realtor in, knowledgeable person, said, huh, this church doesn't have a parking lot. It's in the middle of a block, a one-way street. If I was to clean off this burnt part of the building, fix it so that it could just be part of the building, not all of it and sell this facility, how much could I get? And the, the person, knowledgeable, guesstimated about 400, maybe somewhere between 400 and $500,000 is what this, this property is worth. He said, if I put the building back, spent money he'd already researched how much it would cost to put the building back and it was close to a million dollars and the insurance had already come in and they had invested the insurance in 
a strong investment account. Amen? You still with me? So he's thinking, do I spend all of this insurance money to put this building back and the building itself is inadequate? No parking space, no, even the fellowship hall was not adequate. I mean, just no real Sunday school space, <laughs> no administrative office area. In the middle of a one-way street, wasn't on the corner. He said, if we put the building back, eh, it may be worth another $50,000. Does it make sense to spend a million dollars to increase the property value by 50000 He thought to himself. He said to the man, thank you. Shook his hand, dismissed him. He then met with his board and said to his board, I've been looking for where we can go as a ministry. The church is full. People are excited about our ministry. But this facility is inadequate. Said brethren, I believe we need to move from this location to a better location where we can experience the kind of growth that God wants us to have. You can't have a vision for a thousand people if you don't have room for them. So he said, brethren, you guys are the trustees, leaders of this church, church council. I'm gonna leave you for you to discuss this vision amongst yourselves. He left the room. He said, when you're finished, call me. He came back in. And when he came back in, some moments later, one of the leaders stood up and said to him, Brother Pastor, appreciate all the research that you've done. But the other day, as I was in prayer, the Lord spoke to me and said, the church should stay here. So here's the head is the pastor the head? Yes. Here's the head saying, I have a vision for where we need to go if we're to continue to grow. But someone who's a part of the foot. <laughs> said the Lord spoke to me. Now what kind of sense does that make? Why is God speaking to the foot? Or to the arm or elbow? And what he says countermands what the head says. He said, so thank you for all the research you did, Brother Pastor, but we, we're going to stay here. And the pastor said, thank you, brethren. And the next Sunday, on his pulpit after the preaching, was his resignation letter that he read to the congregation. And he left those visionless people and established a church that is one of the largest churches in the city of Philadelphia. 
and that pastor's name is C. Milton Granham. Come on, put your hands together and praise God. The outline is yours.